growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. There's a litmus test. The litmus test is Jesus, and that's how you can compare your truth or two different ideas of truth or this person says this and this person says that. What do you think? The better question is, what does Jesus think? What does he have to say on something? Do you remember that old television show where three people tried to convince a contestant to believe them about who they are and what they do? One of the persons is telling the truth and the other two are lying, and the contestant has to guess which one is telling the truth, with cash and prizes on the line. Well, in life, all of us need to know who's telling the truth and who isn't. And there's a lot more on the line than just cash and prizes. There's truth and there's untruth. And somewhere you have to stand and say, listen, this is not right. This is not truth. This is not what God has for us. God has so much better, so much more, so much greater expectations for our lives. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our series, the Am I Series, making our way through the New Testament letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This series is designed to take a hard look at what it means to call myself a follower of Jesus and to ask the hard question, am I? really a follower of Jesus. Today we start into 1 John chapter 4, where we find the Apostle John stressing the importance of truth, the danger of those who bring untruth, and how we can discern the truth. Don't believe something just because I stand up here and say it, or somebody else stands up here and say it. Whether you're talking about a professor, don't just believe it because the professor has doctor in front of his name. Don't just believe it because it comes from uh, someone with big following. You have to test it. You have to be on your guard. You have to recognize there is truth and there is untruth, and you better be able to discern. We're living in a time when truth is being questioned at every turn, or if there is even absolute truth. Pastor Clay is going to show us why it's important to know the truth and what it means for our lives. Now, here's Pastor Clay. There is a a word, a phrase that has come into our culture in the last, oh, I don't know, year or so, that I would dare say probably all of you have heard. And the phrase is fake news. How many of you have heard that phrase? Fake news. Fake news. It's being thrown around a lot these days. Fake news. The idea that uh, some news outlets are publishing or broadcasting information that is not truth, it's not based on truth, it's, it, it contains uh, inaccuracies, that sort of thing. And so, so fake news has become a buzzword in our culture. And I was thinking about that last night as I was going over the message and spending some time in prayer. And, and uh, I thought, man, I, I, I thought the National Enquirer was the only one that put out fake news, you know. Like like these, did y'all see these at the grocery store aisles? Hillary Clinton adopts alien baby, and that is in no way a political statement. I just thought it was funny when I saw it. I I just thought, or or this one, this is serious. Bat child escapes. There's a somewhere out there is a bat child, and I, I thought that one was pretty funny too. Uh, and and this one, Adam and Eve were astronauts. It turns out that they were astronauts. So. I, yeah, there, there were a few of Elvis's too, but Elvis sightings and that's right. So, all kidding aside, truth, the accuracy of what we believe, and the source of our truth is important. It is vitally important for our lives, and and we are living in an age that, in some respects, is unlike any in the history of the world. And that is that that even the very idea of whether there 
even is truth is being called into question. Is there actually any um, unchanging, absolute truth? Even that idea is being called into question. And so for our lives, the idea of truth is important. And and particularly, and I'll say more about it as we go on, but particularly I'm referring to spiritual and or theological truth. What we believe about God and who God is and what God has done and what our relationship is with God and how that relationship is formed and what the, what the uh, results of that relationship should be, all of those things. So truth obviously is important for any part of our lives, but particularly when we're talking about spiritual truth, and that's where we are today. If you happen to have a copy of God's Word with you, if you'll open it to 1 John chapter 4, we're in the series, the Am I series. We're, we're, and we're, we're calling it that because, as you can clearly see in John's letters, if you've been through any of this, he keeps drilling home that this is what a follower of Jesus looks like. This is what a follower of Jesus looks like. This is what a follower of Jesus will do. This is what a follower of Jesus believes. Uh, this is how a follower of Jesus loves. And he keeps, and, and so it's all about. And so to be able to say, am I, am I a follower of Jesus? It's not a, it's not a subjective question that I can, can, can answer just willy-nilly or whatever I think, I actually uh, can go to God's Word, not just First John or Second John, or not just John's letters, but all through the Word of God, I can, I can find it. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 this morning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this, you know the Spirit of God. Notice capital S. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world, the the Spirit of, of Antichrist. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I, I'd, have, I'd have amen that even loud, louder, but I'm just telling you. Maybe I'll read it again and give you a, a second chance. We're all about grace around here. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are sections of Scripture and that, that create uh, opportunities for preaching that is, you know, like the old hellfire and brimstone, you know, work, you know, that kind of stuff. There are passages of Scripture that that create opportunities for preaching that is, you know, inspirational and, and, and challenging and things like that. And there are sections of Scripture that uh, create opportunities for preaching that really is a, is a teaching uh, moment for our lives. And, and I think that that is what we're seeing in First John. And I'd readily admit that my preaching tends to be more of a teaching style anyway, but uh, we clearly can see in First John that, that, we're, that we're being taught. He's teaching us 
uh, through this process. And so it's a lot to take in. In the last few weeks, you may have noticed if you happen to like to take notes, there's been a lot of blanks uh, to, to fill in. As I always say, use it if you want to. If you don't, if you're like the per- kind of person that just likes to focus on, on the person standing up here and what he's saying, that's fine. If filling in notes helps you stay with the text and, and keep up with it and, and put it in a, kind of an orderly fashion and it'll help you even in the weeks to come uh, as you can use it as part of your devotional material, whatever, fine, uh, either way. But, uh, but there's a lot. There's a lot of meat in here in First John. So uh, let me start with this idea this morning. Having read verses 1 through 6, I want to start with this idea. Beware of the sources of your truth. That's, that's lesson number one. We have to beware of the sources of our truth. Now, if you have been in this series, if you've come hardly any amount of times, we've been in this series now for a couple of months, you know that there are a lot of repeating themes, or there are, maybe not a lot, but there are re- these repeating themes that keep coming up in John's uh, letters. And one of those repeating themes, not the one we're necessarily focusing on today, but one of those repeating themes is the, the, our conduct and our morality. We have seen that several times. If you've been here in First John, that, there, that there's this call for a conduct uh, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, that our conduct, our morality uh, should, should match God's conduct and moral standards for our lives. By the way, uh, the call to moral, our moral conduct and standards, the, the call to, for our lives to be changed when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, is one, because when we come to Christ, our life then reflects his life. And so our conduct and our moral standards should reflect his conduct and his moral standards uh, for our lives. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am, what? Say it. Holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. The word holy, uh, you, you may know this, simply means set apart, distinct, unlike, different from. And so there's this, this calling to, to, to be distinct or different from the way I was before I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it reflects, that's one of the reasons we're called to uh, a, a different moral standard and conduct for our lives. It reflects the image of God. We're also called to a different moral standard and conduct for our lives because it is what is physically, emotionally, and spiritually best for our lives. It's exactly why God gives us do's and don'ts. As I've said many times before, not because God is the giant uh, cosmic killjoy, the universe, and he had nothing better to do than to rain on everybody's parade that wanted to, you know, have a party and have a good time. We can have more fun as a follower of Jesus, by the way, than, than just about anybody, I think, or I certainly think we should. But, but God tells us, hey, here's how your life should look. Here's how you should act. Here's what, what should be in your life. Here's what not should be. He does that because that is what is physically, emotionally, and spiritually best for your life. Whether you believe that at this point or not, it's absolutely the truth. A parent gives their children, their sons and their daughters, do's and don'ts because they care about them, right? 
And because that parent knows better than that child that that thing that they may want to engage in or try or be a part of or whatever, that parent knows that that thing is not best for them because that parent has lived a little longer, experienced a little more, has more knowledge. Uh, and so the parent, the loving parent does that, right? They, they, they give their child do's and don'ts because they love. Why would we think that God would care less for us than, than earthly parents care for their children? So... That's a theme in First in John, and, and it's, it's for our good. Another theme that we find in there is, is love. That's a theme. We looked at it uh, last week and maybe the week before that. It, love is a, is a theme that comes up in First John. Love specifically for brothers and sisters in Christ, that how we ought to love each other, how we ought to love each other the way Christ loves us, which means what? It means sacrificially. It means... Uh, it means with exuberance, it means this desire to, to meet your need and you meet my need and to be there for you and to love on you and to help you in your time of crisis or need or whatever the case may be. Love is a theme that shows up in First John. And there is the theme of truth. Truth versus non-truth. Now, John has already addressed the, the contrast and, and the, uh, the comparisons and the consequences of truth versus untruth. He's already dealt with that in chapter 2. We dealt with that a good bit. Now he comes back to it in the first part of First John chapter 4. He begins to delve into again to this idea of truth. I said a moment ago that uh, a loving parent will give their children do's and don'ts, right? And as kids, we often don't like them. Well, let, let me ask you a question. How many times will a parent tell their child not to play in the street. If they live on a busy street or something, how many times will a parent tell a child not to play in a busy street? The answer is as many times as it takes, as many times as necessary. They will say it over and over and over again. Why? Because they don't have to pay for, for, to repair the damage on the front end of somebody's car? No, because they don't want their child to be killed or, or badly injured as a result of playing out in the street. And so the parent will say it over and over and over again. And so God, through the Apostle John, will say it over and over and over again to us because he loves us. And so he comes into this idea of truth. And here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, uh, John mentions that there basically are two sources for your truth. Okay? There are two overarching sources for your truth. And the first one is there, is there are supernatural sources. There are supernatural sources for your truth. What does John say? It opens up that chapter. Do not believe every spirit. Isn't that what he says? Do not believe every spirit. Now, for the record, spirit or uh, pneumatai there in, in the original language can refer to, to just to almost anybody or any information. It doesn't necessarily have to be a supernatural uh, source or supernatural being or a non-human uh, being at this point. It, it can mean that. But generally speaking, when discussing spiritual truths, theological truths, things about God and our relationship with him, generally when the word spirit, uh, pneumatai, is used, it is generally referring to spiritual things, spiritual beings, for instance, the, the hagias pneumatai, the, the pneumatas, the Holy Spirit comes and he imparts, he gives, he teaches us truth for our lives. 
for, for the housewife, for the, for the, for the executive, for the uh, person uh, working here or doing that, the student, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and imparts truth to us. John uh, chapter 16 says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will what? Say it. He will guide you into all truth. That is a supernatural source that, that you can get your truth from, right? That's, that's, that's one way that you can, you can get your, your truth. But we also know that there are, there is a real satanic being, that there are demonic forces, that there are these fallen angels who are actively engaged in the world and actively seeking to, to hide the truth from people, to misrepresent, to bring untruth to people's lives. This is absolutely a, a reality of this world. And people can scoff at it and people can laugh at me for saying it, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely the truth. There are supernatural sources that want to convince you of a truth that is actually not a truth. We have an example of that in the Gospels uh, in this scene where Jesus tells his disciples that, hey guys, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be put to death. This is, this is, uh, God, God has a plan. We're working all this out. And if you remember the passage, Matthew chapter 16, Peter start, basically starts scolding Jesus for saying, Jesus, don't, don't be talking that way. Don't be, you're going you're gonna to bring everybody down, man. Don't be, don't be talking. We're trying to build this thing up. And you're telling you're going to go die. Don't be saying that kind of stuff. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus responds to uh, Peter's scolding. And look at what he says. He says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. So in other words, Jesus wasn't, wasn't literally saying that Peter was Satan. But what he's saying was, Peter, you're being influenced by, by, by Satan, by the spirit of Antichrist, this, this idea that that, that, that truth can come from a source other than from me. And you're trying to, you're trying to, to what you're receiving as truth, you're trying to pass that off and, and keep me from, from part of the plan to save your very soul. There are supernatural sources of really of untruth. Uh, look at this in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded, watch this, the God of this world, in other words, the, just the, that spirit of Antichrist, that satanic influence, the God of this world, little g, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see, you see that? They might not, blinding them so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There are forces at work in the world seeking to, to hide the truth of God's plan of redemption, hide the reality of, of who God is and, and, and what his son did and the need for salvation and how that uh, salvation is obtained. There are sources trying to keep people from, to hide the truth. And so they bring untruth. Probably the most famous passage of scripture dealing with spiritual warfare, that whole thing. Uh, you know, it's Ephesians chapter six uh, says this, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes, the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We, we, 
Those of us who are married need to remember that in the midst of something with our wives or husbands at times. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. They are supernatural sources that are, that are peddling something that is untruth, but they're bringing it across as to they want people to believe it as their truth for their lives. You understand? And I'm telling you, the spiritual realm is absolutely real. I, I told this uh, a few years ago. Some of you may remember this. But uh, years ago, I was with a evangelism team. We went out. We were visiting some homes. And we went to the home of a lady who... Uh, had a cat in her house. And uh, when, when we came in, uh, she, she invited us in, you know, we introduced who we were and she invited us in. And when, we, when she opened the door, the, the cat immediately bolted out the door. And, you know, she's like, here, Fluffy, here, Fluffy, come back. Fluffy wouldn't come back. Uh, that wasn't its name. I don't know what its name was. But, so, but she invited us in. Uh, there used to be a lot more of that in our, our culture. We, people don't do it as much anymore. But she invited us in, and we sat down, and, and we just wanted to just walk through the gospel. We wanted to share with her God's good news. That's why it's called the gospel. It's, 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 the, it's the good news, the great news. And we began to share with that lady the, what's referred to as the gospel. And Fluffy went psycho. Now, she was outside, but it's, it was Florida, and the windows are open, and Fluffy jumps up on the windowsill, and I'm telling you, goes psycho. And y'all going to say, y'all going to say I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, anytime we mention the name of Jesus or the cross, this cat went, flipped out, clawing at the screen, and we're sitting on the couch, you know, this couch is like, and the screen's like right there, so the cat's like right, right at my ear, going, and the lady keeps saying, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why Fluffy's doing this. Fluffy never acts this way. I, I don't know what, what, what's going on with Fluffy. Fluffy's never been, done this before. Listen, you can say I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, there was spiritual influence in that room, and we were not able to clearly present the gospel to that lady in a way that she could receive it because she was constantly worried about Fluffy and whether Fluffy was going to tear through the screen or, or whatever. It, it's real. It is, it is real. I, I'm just telling you. And, and if possible... They'll try and be your source of, of truth or untruth. So uh, there, there are spiritual, there are supernatural uh, sources of truth. And then uh, John says that there are uh, natural sources of truth. In uh, uh, verse, first part of verse 1, he says, Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many uh, flesh and blood Human beings, men, uh, have gone out into the world and they are teaching anything but truth. And, and listen, I'm not even talking about or, or primarily about the, the Jim Joneses and the David Koreshes of the world. Okay, quite honestly, those kind of wackos ought to be easy to identify Although it still amazes me how many people fall for that kind of, kind of thing. But I, I'm, I'm talking about those who, through eloquent speech or articulation or through education or through uh, persuasion or through intimidation or through whatever means, have led billions of people astray, have led billions of people away from the truth by presenting to them 
something that sounds like truth but is actually untruth. Let me give you an example. Let's say a, a, a Mormon missionary comes to your door, and I, I'm, I'm just sorry. This just I'm not, not beating up on Mormons. I'm just telling you this is just the, a Mormon missionary comes to your door. You have to listen to what they say to you. You get in a conversation with them where they do most of the talking, and that's generally how they would like for it to be. Um, what you'll hear them say oftentimes will sound very similar to what you believe. It will sound very orthodox, but it's not. I'm just telling you, it's not. And, and, and you, you, have to, you have to understand that, that, that you have to realize that there are, there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And so it's just something you have to realize and understand. Don't believe something just because I stand up here and say it. Or somebody else stands up here and say it, whether, whether you're talking about a, a professor, don't just believe it because the professor has doctor in front of his name. Don't just believe it because it comes from uh, someone with, with, uh, with a, a big following. Don't automatically, you understand what I'm saying? That you, that, that you, have, to, you have to test it. And we'll get to, to what you had to have to do in the first place, or in just a second. But in the first place, what you have to do is you have to be on your guard. You have to recognize there is truth and there is untruth and and you better, you better be able to discern which is. Even if you're a believer, okay, there, there's still truth and there's still untruth coming at you. And you have to be ready to discern some of that stuff, okay? All right? So beware of the sources of your truth, all right? Second, I would say this. Compare the elements of your truth. Beware of them. Don't, don't automatically assume that what you're hearing from somebody is truth, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a coworker. Hey, did you know that so-and-so, such-and-such, such What do you got to do? You got to compare the elements of your truth. Let me read verse 2 and 3. Look at what he says. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. This is not the first time John has made reference to the Antichrist. He's not referring to the actual Antichrist who will come at the end of time and, and try and establish his kingdom and, and claim his his uh, rights over the world. But he's saying that already in the world, there is this pervasive uh, movement to draw people away from God and draw them to the, the priority of this world, that this world and what you can get in this world, that that's what matters and that's what you need to focus on. And if I just had this or if I just made this much more, if I could just get that position or whatever the case may be, that, that, that it's intended, it's purposeful, intended to draw you away. And so... Uh, John says that you, you have to test uh, this information. He, he gives us a litmus test for doing it. And the test is Jesus. He says the test is Jesus. That's where you start. Remember, we're talking about spiritual, theological truth. If you want to test which fabric softener is the best, you, you, don't, you don't need to, to find out what Jesus used. Okay? But what we're talking about is spiritual, theological truth, and, and the implications of that for my life. That's what we're talking about here, okay? So the test is Jesus. That's where we have to, to start. <clears throat> and so uh, he, he, he begins to dive into these, this, this test, which is Jesus, and he basically breaks it, or we break, we'll break it down three ways that there are these three things. First, you have to, uh, compare, you have to talk about his divinity. You have to talk about his, his divinity. Uh, 
basically, he says, any spirit that, let me, let me see, what does it say here in verse 2? By, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come and that believes that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, that's a title. It's not his last name, it's a title. He's the anointed one. He's the, he's the one sent from God. He is the God who, who became flesh so that we might uh, obtain eternal life. You, you guys know that part of the gospel. But that's a central part of it. When someone tries to give you truth, you can start with that idea, some type of spiritual idea. Hey, what do you think about this? Or did you know that? Or how about this? You can start with this idea. Tell me what you think about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's his divinity. It has to be explored. There, there, are, there are circles uh, in, in the world today and in our culture that want to promote the idea of Jesus the man. He was a, he was a good man. He was a, he was a good teacher. I, I was, uh, a while back, I was uh, surfing the TV thing, and I saw this on History Channel or National Geographic or something, this show that was going to be on, I guess kind of a documentary thing, uh, In Search of the Real Jesus. I, I didn't even watch it because, A, I didn't even know he was missing, and B, I knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to promote Jesus the man, Jesus uh, the, 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 the radical rabbi that had these, had these great ideas, but it made the, made the religious leaders mad, and, and so he, he, he got, him, got a following, but then he got himself killed. It, it was going to be Jesus the, the natural man, and we'll, he was a man. We'll get to that, but, but that's all. There's this idea that that's, that's it. That's all. He was just a man. That was all. No, he wasn't just a man. He was, is, and forever will be God Almighty. He is. He is. So uh, his divinity, that's, that's, that's one of the ways that you can test. When somebody, when they're trying to tell you something or impart some truth to you, you can start with his divinity. What do you think about Jesus? Who was he? Was he, is he, has he always been the eternal God? Second, uh, not only his divinity, but of course his humanity. In verse 2, look at it in verse 2, look what he says. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has what? Come in the flesh. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, that idea, that concept, that, that is a godly concept, that, that Jesus uh, actually came, that he was an actual real man. Listen, God the Son, Theology 101, God the Son has always existed... But 2,000 years ago, God the Son took on flesh and became a man. He became a real man. And he did so for our good. Because remember, we're the ones that started this. We're the ones that rebelled against God. We're the ones that sinned and were separated from God. And therefore, a man had to pay the sin debt, but not just any man. It had to be a perfect man, a, a, a lamb without spot or blemish. But there are no perfect men. So the perfect God became the perfect God-man so that humanity, mankind, could come into a relationship with him. It is vitally important that he became a man. It has become popular in the last few years among atheists in atheist circles to uh, just, just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. You don't need anything to support it. Just throw it out there. The idea that, well, you know, we really don't even have that much evidence that, that a Jesus of Nazareth ever even lived challenging his humanity, the fact that there actually was Jesus. Listen, that, I don't, I, don't even, I don't even know how to answer that when people 
propose something like that because the evidence for the validity, the historical empirical evidence for the validity of a Jesus of Nazareth is, is so overwhelming that any claim that, that he never possibly didn't even exist is, is laughable. It's, it's ludicrous. I mean, it really is. But that, that's, that's one of the areas that, you, that we need to test, his, 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 his divinity and his humanity. And then third, real quickly, his ministry. Now, that's, his ministry is not specifically addressed here in this text, okay? I, I, will, I will confess that. It's not specifically addressed, but we are talking about spiritual matters and Jesus' ministry, uh, his teaching, uh, that's the first one we're starting, his, his instructional aspect of his ministry dealt with spiritual matters. And so that is always something that is liable to come under attack by those who would try and promote untruth. For example, Jesus uh, taught about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think in Matthew chapter 7. Great idea. He taught that, uh, that, that we should treat people the way we would want to be treated. He, he taught that it's better to give than to receive. He taught that we ought to, to love people. Those ideas, those concepts, those teachings of Jesus are, I would say, are as popular as they have ever been. But Jesus also taught about the judgment of God about the reality of hell, about the consequences of sin, about the standard of marriage between one man and one woman. You understand what I'm saying? Is that you've got to, you've got to compare it in his ministry, in his teaching ministry. If someone's trying to promote some idea or teach you something or say, well, this is the way, and this is, this is a good one, right? Well, it's the 21st century now. I'm pretty sure God's aware that it's the 21st century. And because he is an unchanging God, his truth doesn't change. That's the whole point. That's why we can trust his truth, because it doesn't change. And so uh, his teaching, that's, you want to just go to his teaching. Just, that's one way that you, somebody's trying to pass an idea. Look and see what Jesus had to say about it. And he may not sometimes address a specific by name thing, but you can take the concepts, you can take the ideas, you can take his expectations for our life, and it's pretty easy to figure out where Jesus comes down on some particular subject or idea. Okay, so uh, there is an instructional aspect of Jesus' ministry. And then there is the uh, sacrificial aspect of Jesus' ministry. Let me just say this to you. Any, any teaching, any neighbor, any co-worker, any professor that tries to uh, imply that the, that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ never occurred or didn't need to occur and his resurrection did not occur or didn't need to occur, that, that is untruth. That is absolute untruth truth, based obviously on the Word of God, but based also on the evidence that's available to us. So Islam, for instance, Islam holds Jesus in high regard. They, they, they will say that he is a, a great prophet, but they do not believe in his divinity. They do not believe his God, and they do not believe that he died on a cross or that he even needed to die on a cross. Therefore, John says it's untruth. You can just, you can just mark it down. It's untruth. It is it is essentially from the spirit. It's a, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's that idea, this pervasive idea that, that God is other than who he has portrayed himself to be in his word. Okay? So there, there's a litmus test. The litmus test is Jesus, and that's how you can, you can compare your truth or two different ideas of truth or this person says this and this person says that. What do you think? The better question is, what does Jesus think? What does he have to say on something? Okay, and then third, uh, real quickly, be aware 
of the results of your truth. Be aware of the results of your truth. In verses uh, 4 through 6 there, he says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us, doesn't listen to the word of God. By this we know that the spirit of truth and, and the spirit of error. Here's how we can recognize that he says in, in this way. And so we need to be aware of the results or the consequences or the effects of what you accept as true. Uh, there is a phrase that you've probably heard before uh, that is also... Uh, used in our culture these days, and, and, and is the phrase worldview, the term worldview. Your worldview is how you receive information. It's, it's, it's the set of lenses that you put on that allows you to, to see whatever it is that you see in this world. You understand what I'm saying? Your worldview shapes your idea of, of how you see this incident or that happening or, or this uh, news information or that. All of that is shaped by your world view. And so it is critically important that you get the truth, that you understand the truth. And here's what, what John basically uh, says of that in this idea of being aware of your, the results of your truth. Truth brings godliness. That's what truth will bring into your life. It will bring godliness, godlikeness, behaving, acting, believing, looking at things the way God would. In the latter part of verse 4, it says, you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So, uh, so this idea of this, this truth, it brings, it brings God's presence and it brings God's power. One of the great truths of this whole thing is that when a person comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God comes to dwell in that person. And that's not some hocus-pocus, you know, alakazam kind of thing. It doesn't mean that lightning strikes and you fall out on the floor. It's simply a reality of the promise of the Word of God, that a person in relationship with Jesus Christ receives the Spirit of God into their life. And that Spirit then provides His, His presence for our lives, which is what ought to bring peace and, and, and joy and comfort and all the stuff that it should bring to our lives and and it brings his power so that when conviction or or let's say when when uh, uh, when a temptation comes in my life his power brings conviction and his power gives me the ability even though we don't always get it right gives me the ability to turn away and to have victory over that temptation or that idea or that direction or that whatever do you understand because of the presence and the power of god it, it brings godliness into your life and as you could probably guess, untruth does just the opposite. Untruth brings worldliness. Untruth will bring worldliness. Or, or in other words, it'll bring a concept, it'll bring actions, it'll bring thoughts and beliefs that would line up with, with the world system or that those outside or not seeking to follow God. You understand what, by the term worldliness what I'm saying? Verse 5, look again, what he says, look what he says. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the... It sounds like something that, that the world would say. And the world does what? In other words, the world, meaning those outside of God, those not looking for God, those just focused on here and now and my life. What are they doing? They're listening. The world listens to them. Now, real quickly, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that 
the world embraces and says this is good or this is true, it doesn't automatically mean that, that it's not true. Most of the world would still agree that it's, that it's, that it's a, a truth, that it's good to uh, feed starving people in Sudan. It's good, it's, it's true to, to help flood victims. It's good, it's true to, to put child molesters in prison. But those things aren't true because the world says they're true. They're true because God established it in his word, what is right and what is wrong, uh, what, is, what is sinful and what is not sinful. The fact that the world happens to, to still think that those are some ideas that are pretty good and maybe we should hold on to those doesn't make it truth. So, so I'm not saying that if the world says something is good that it automatically means. But what I am saying is that those ideas of worldliness uh, that are contrary to God's teaching, contrary to God's Word. They come from the world, and the world will listen to them. It brings the world's preferences, and it brings the world's practices. That's exactly what you see in the world around us today. Actions that are contrary to the Word of God that almost anybody can, could see from page one to page last that God would be opposed to this particular action or thought or belief or whatever. And yet that's what worldliness will do. It will bring the world's preferences into a person's life and the world's practices into life. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a contemporary example. In the last year or two, there's been a apparently growing number of people that have, have said that it is right, it is morally right for a man to be able to go into a woman's bathroom or, or dressing room, or locker room, if he identifies as a woman, and, and vice versa. That it's more, that, that it's unjust, that it's discriminatory to not let a man go into a woman's bathroom, or the bathroom of his preference, if he identifies with that particular gender. And listen, just, I'm, I'm just telling you, okay? It's not, it's not political, it's not, it's not political, it's just... But in the last week or two, the governor of this state signed an executive order, as I understand it, forcing all government agencies and any businesses that do go, business with government agencies or that receive funds in any way from government agencies, that they must allow people to choose the bathroom of their choice based on whichever gender they choose to identify with. I assume that includes schools, public schools, everything else. Anybody that receives funds or is connected to the government in any way must do that. And yet... God's truth says that he created them male and female. Now, I understand, I understand the whole concept of gender confusion, and we're still learning all about but I'm telling you, God said he created them male and female. I, I, I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm quite convinced that our culture has done most of the confusing on the gender thing. I got to close. And y'all are not going to think, y'all are not going to think this very Christian, but I'm just telling y'all folks, I, we, somewhere we got to, we got to say, man, there's truth and there's untruth and, and somebody's got to, got to stand on. I'm just going to tell you this, right? If, if I'm out somewhere with my granddaughter and she has to go to the bathroom, I'm going to stand at that bathroom door. And if, if Sheila, well, I don't know, I don't, wants to come in and has an Adam's apple, he, yeah, he better not have to go bad. Because he's going to wait till Miss Ellie comes out of that bathroom. I, I, because there's truth and there's untruth. And somewhere you have, to, you have to stand and say, listen, this is, 
this is not right. This is not truth. This is not what God has for us. God has so much better, so much more, so much greater expectations for our lives. Greater is he that is in you that is in the world. You've overcome the world. You've conquered those things because of he who is in the world. And if, and if you belong to Christ, you have to embrace his truth. You have to, you have to be aware uh, beware of your sources of truth and where they're coming from. You have to compare those truths and, and those elements having to do with, with Jesus, the litmus test. And you have to be aware of the consequences. There are consequences to what we accept as truth and what we don't accept as truth. Some of those consequences are for this life here and now, and some of those consequences can be eternal. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's clear from the passage today that the enemy is always seeking to spread untruth. As Pastor Clay explained, what we receive as truth in regards to spiritual matters shapes our lives and the decisions we make. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we must seek His truth and apply it to our lives. John tells us that Jesus is the litmus test for discerning what is truth and what is untruth. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.